How many enjoyed the worship service? Come on, wasn't that awesome? And we just love our worship team, all the AVL people, audio, visual, lights, everything that they do. So excited to be with you this morning. Hey, this morning we are going to jump in again to our series on the Holy Spirit. This is our third week, and I'm really hoping that every single one of you are really leaning in during this time. I'm convinced that this is more than just another series. I really believe that God's speaking to you and speaking to me, not just to us. He's speaking to you personally. And we're living in a time where the Holy Spirit really wants to find a new place in your life, a new strength, a new role in your life. And I'm just so encouraged with what the Lord is doing and what I'm sensing and what I'm hearing. I believe that we're crossing over into something new. And we decided to take nine weeks to take our entire summer and just saying, we're going to park here. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We need him more in our lives. And I'm hoping that you're leaning in with me, not just on the Sundays, but in between and just going, man, I just need more of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so this is our third week. You know, week number one, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. And we wanted to make sure just from a foundational standpoint that every person understood about the deity, about the personality, and about the names of the Holy Spirit. If you didn't get a chance to to look at that, go on the website, please. Take a look at that um, and just understand the foundational truth, actually who the Holy Spirit is. I think we all understand that the more that we know someone, the more benefit they are to us. And it's so important to understand the 19 names of the Holy Spirit and how that applies to our life. And then last week we talked about the Word and the Spirit. And we talked about this idea that since the beginning of time or before the beginning of time, the Word and the Spirit always existed. They always partner together. They always are a complement. And God wants you and I to have a balance of the Word and the Spirit in our life. We don't want to be pendulum Christians where we're, as it says in Ephesians 4, where we're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the trickiness of man and Um, We just need to understand that we're to be plumb line Christians, that we want 100% of the word and we want 100% of the spirit in our lives. Can I hear an amen? Those two were foundational uh, truths that we had to set in place before we talked this morning about the next one. And this next message is really a practical application for the next six weeks. We're going to start giving you practical pieces of how the Holy Spirit works and functions in your life. What you're going to find out is that we play a key role in making sure that he functions in the way that he wants to. And hopefully you've already picked up in the series that if we enter the day thinking that we can do life without the Holy Spirit operating every day in our life, you will live a very feeble, weak, struggling life at best. Anybody want that kind of life? Come on. There's no one. Hopefully your hand didn't go up right there. Because we have an altar call right now. I mean, no one wants that kind of life. But we find the flip side to be true, that if we engage, understand, engage, embrace, and walk with the Holy Spirit, we can live an abundant life. The kind of life that God wanted for you and wants for me. And so we're going to take a step again this morning, and we're going to talk about walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. So if you have your iPhone, you can open up your iPhone, your iPad, your eyelids, 
And we're just going to jump right in this morning, take some notes. Hopefully this will help you to take a very important step in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And as I was thinking about this message, I was reflecting back in my high school years. Um, a time in a season where I had a lot of problems going on in my world. How many have problems as a teenager? Come on. How many still have problems? I mean, I got a few myself, right? That's where we need the Holy Spirit. But the reality was is that I had this one hang-up, and I'm just, it's just kind of a confession Sunday. I, I love to mock people that wore glasses. I mean, it's just kind of like, first of all, everybody during that era wore really goofy glasses, but on top of it, it just kind of, you know, it just kind of measured to me kind of a sign of weakness. I mean, they were the feeble glass people. I mean, I had 20-20 vision. I prided myself. I mean, I was the eagle. I mean, I just like, man, I could soar. I could see. And it's just kind of one of those things where I just kind of mock people that wore glasses. Then something happened in my life. When I turned 26, things begin to get a little blurry from a distance. Now, I didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be a part of that group. And so for over two years, I struggled with all the time just as I went to read a sign or I'd always be squinting my glasses and my wife would say to me, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm not doing anything. I just, and I was trying to squint to see. I was in denial. I thought I could see without help. Follow me now. So I decided to set up an appointment with a, an optometrist. I didn't tell anybody. It was kind of like incognito. And I slip in and I meet with the optometrist. He puts me through a series of tests. Comes out with a prescription. And he tells me something I didn't want to hear. That probably for the rest of my life I will need to wear glasses. And as I thought about that, I realized this one thing, is that I had a choice to make. I had to own the fact that in order to see clearly, I'd have to live every day of my life with glasses on. So I would wake up every single morning, as I do now, the very first thing that happens when I roll out of bed is that I put on my glasses. And since I've done that, I see clearly. I can see the people in the back row. I can see every single one of you like you were sitting in the front row. I can see clearly the eagle is soaring again. I mean, I can see. I can see. Then I realized I had another problem. Again, I hate to admit this is your pastor, but I have a weakness. It's called my flesh. And just like my glasses, I used to think that I could do life on my own. I didn't need any help. I prided myself that I didn't need God or I didn't need prayer. I didn't need counsel. I didn't need friends. I mean, I can do everything myself. And just like my eyesight, I came to a place in my life where I realized I can't do it on my own. And so I realized that I needed to set up an appointment with the Holy Spirit optometrist. I needed to sit down with him, and I set up an appointment called prayer. And I began to pray, and I got out the word, which was my tests, to find out where I needed to 
changed my world and life. The Holy Spirit gave me a prescription. He says, if you want to fulfill the life that I created you to fill, you can only do it daily by putting on the Holy Spirit. And if I try to do it any other way, even one day without him, the Bible says without him, I can do nothing. So we choose whether to do life without him and squint and stumble, feel guilty and insecure, make lots of mistakes, be filled with regret, or we can choose to start every day by putting on the Holy Spirit, walking our life to see the way that the Holy Spirit sees. And so Paul the Apostle, he talked about this. We're going to look at this in the book of Romans. And Paul writes to people like you and me that have the same challenge that we have. Immersed in a very self-entitled, self-absorbed culture. They're addicted to their carnal appetites. They live in a world where it just seems like all of the sensual, natural, temporal carnal things are surrounding them, and he's trying to confront the mindset, the culture, to say, if you continue to entice yourself or dive in and participate in those particular items, if you set your minds on those things, your eyesight on those things, you're going to live a pretty struggled life. And so he spends three out of eight chapters, excuse me, three out of 16 chapters talking about this. Chapter 6, he's just kind of talking about the idea wages of sin is death. You can't do it on your own. Chapter 7, he says, if you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail at best. And chapter 8 is now the prescription chapter. He says, listen, you've got this. This whole series is about the Holy Spirit. You've got to walk in the Spirit. You've got to put on the Spirit every day. Just like when you wake up in the morning and put your glasses on, you've got to put on the Holy Spirit. You've got to walk in Him. So I want to look at this opening scripture in chapter 8, verses 2 through 4, and Paul begins to focus in now to help those believers understand how to walk. And he says this, he says, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's your prescription. You want to be free? He says you have to accept, you have to walk in the spirit of life. It's what will make you free. It's what will empower you. It's what will help you to be an overcomer. It's the only way that you can break off of your flesh, your problem, your weakness. It's the only thing that will give you the right prescription to see. He says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, meaning you can't do this on your own. It could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And listen to this last statement. It says this, for those who walk, I want you to get this word. This is where we're going this morning. He's saying, for those who walk, not according to their flesh, but according to the Spirit. He's saying, if you want freedom 
You want fulfillment? You want the Holy Spirit really to work in your life? You've got to walk according to the Holy Spirit. And so Paul takes this analogy and he applies it to us. And the Bible does this. It actually applies your Christian life compared to walking. The Greek word that he uses right here in walk, it's the Greek word peripateo. And it means this. It means to live. It means to conduct oneself. It means actually to behave. So it's not necessarily just what you believe or what you read or what you pray or what you sing. Paul is saying that really living the life that God has called you to has everything to do with your conduct. It has everything to do with your behavior and how it aligns to the things of God versus the things of the world. This is probably the message that's most challenging for us when it comes to the Holy Spirit because we just want to hear the miracle part, right? The filling part, the signs and wonders part, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit part and whatever it might be, gifts of the Spirit. But this is the one that if we don't get this one straight, all of the rest won't apply simply because we're not aligned and walking in the way that God created you to walk. The Bible shows you 391 times, that's called biblical precedent. Over and over again, you see the word walk show up, that we are to walk in the Lord, walk in his ways. He told Enoch to walk with God. He said to Moses, Moses is the Greek or Hebrew word for Moses. And so he told him to walk with God and Abraham and the children of Israel. And you go, you just got to own your mistakes, right? So I just do that. You do the same thing too. And you see 391 times this idea of God saying, walk, 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 walk. Behave, behave, behave. Live, live, live. Conduct yourself, conduct yourself. Look at your behavior. Look at what you're doing. Look at what you're thinking. Look at what you're saying. It's not just what you believe. 391 times. And so Paul picks up on that Old Testament thought in 32 times. Paul says this, walk in a, in a way that's worthy of the calling that you've received. Walk in faith, walk in love, walk in light, walk according to the Spirit. Paul, 32 times, he brings up this analogy, walk, 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 walk. And Paul probably, because they didn't have cars out there, Uber wasn't around, he walked everywhere. The, some commentary said he walked over 12,000 miles, that's 24 million steps, it's like walking from here to New York City five times. Anybody do that yet? Come on, usually there's three or four, but... Right? I mean, if that's you, your Fitbit would be like smoking and melting on your hand. And it's just like he, he had this analogy in the natural, and he, he applies walking in the natural to walking in the Spirit. One step at a time. What you need to do. It's every day. It's what takes you where, everywhere that you need to go. And he uses this analogy. But Paul does this, and this is, this is so important, I want to slow down here, because he does it not only to the Romans, he does it to the Corinthians. Again, a society a lot like ours. And he begins to help them understand that you have to cooperate and submit yourself to the Holy Spirit every day. It's called walking in the Spirit. And so what we see as you look at this, you're going to see three different ways. Paul's basically saying, here's the three ways that you can walk as a Christian or as a person. You're one of the three. The first one is this. It's the natural person. 
It's called the self-directed life. And if you look at that analogy there, that diagram on the screen, you notice that there's a chair. That chair is your life. It represents the throne. Who makes the decisions? Who's in charge? What you see there in that circular icon, that represents you. Sitting on your throne, living a self-directed life. All of the circles around in the circle represent your realities, your decisions, your circumstances, your relationships, and how you relate to those. And you notice in this particular case, you see a circle with a cross outside of the big circle. This is called a natural person or a self-directed life. It's a person that says, Jesus is not even in my life. I don't even know that glasses exist. I don't even wear them. I squint through life. I kind of think like you used to, Mark. I kind of think that maybe I can do it on my own, and I don't need God, and he can't really help me. And that's kind of old school. And we spend our life, or they spend their life, squinting and running into things and making decisions that are, are, are harmful to their behavior. They live hopeless and hurting and confused and self-centered lives. I don't recommend this kind of lifestyle. This is what Paul says, and he says this scripturally to to prove what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says, The natural person, speaking about the self-directed life, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He says, and he is not able to understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Because Jesus is not even in the circle, he's not even in the life, it's impossible for anybody, regardless if they read the Bible, they believe in God, they pray, it is impossible for people to have this personal, intimate relationship with Jesus if you don't invite him into your world and into your circle to be your Lord and Savior. That's what Paul's saying here. They live life as if they're in charge. They squint, they can't see, they need the prescription. The second category that you see is something that looks completely different, and that's the spiritual person. This is a Christ-centered life. It's someone that basically says, I can't do it on my own, and I need the prescription. You notice that there's something different about this diagram. Jesus is no longer outside the circle. He's inside the circle, and not only is he inside the circle, but he's sitting on the throne. And you notice where self is. Self is submitted. It's called lordship. It's saying, Lord, you're in charge. You're in charge. My body was bought with a price. I'm not my own. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And you surrender your entire life. Romans 12 says that we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto us, which is our reasonable service. And over and over again, you see these scriptures that say, our job as believers is to die. We're supposed to be walking dead people. The person that's alive is Jesus who's in us, who lives on the throne. And it's in that that we find life and we find hope and peace and joy and purpose and all those things is because we put Jesus in the driver's seat. So many of us have him in the car seat, not the driver's seat. And then here's the third person. This is the carnal person that lives a self-defeated life. And if you notice the change here, you see that Christ comes off the throne. 
and self goes back on the chair. These are Christians. Say, I love Jesus, I want him to be part of my life, but only when I need him. It's kind of like Jesus is real close, he's within reach, right? Kind of like this. And then all of a sudden, you're just kind of doing your life, doing your own thing, and then all of a sudden, tragedy happens. There's a train wreck. It's a problem with your finance, sickness, disease, relational challenge. And it's just like he's within reach, and it's all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, I need Jesus, right? But what we do is we put him at our feet. We don't put him on the throne. And this is what Paul says about this, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 and 3. He says, and I, brethren, he says, I could not speak to you, spiritual people, but as to you that are carnal. He says this, as to babes in Christ. Come on, say babe. Babe. He's talking about babies, those that are immature. And he goes on and he says this. He says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it, and even now, you're still not able to receive it. Why? Because you're still carnal. This is so important to understand. When it comes to this idea of Christianity, I hear it all the time. Wow, you know, it just seems so hard, and the standards and the rules, and it just seems like the bar is so high. It will always be high if you're on the throne. It's always high. Because you're looking through it in a self-defeated context. You're seeing it like, I can't do that. And you, I just want to say this. You're right, you can't do that. So die. Just die and put him up and then it becomes easy. And so Paul's trying to help us saying, he's saying, listen, the way that you walk really matters. It's a life and death issue. This is a life-altering truth. We could stop right here and do an altar call right here. I mean, it's like the Holy Spirit saying, listen, you've got to walk in a way that's worthy of your calling. And you choose which of the three you're going to walk again, as a natural person, a spiritual person, or a carnal person. And then he goes back, and again, I want to go back into Romans because he goes back into this thought. And he says, listen, if you really want to walk in the Spirit, you've just got to do three things. Learn, turn, and discern. He makes it real simple. you got to learn, then you got to turn, and you got to discern. Come on, say them with me. Come on, learn. You can do better than that. Learn, turn, and what? Discern. If you want to walk in the Spirit, He gives us the recipe. If you want to be that second one that wears the prescription every day, He says, you learn, you turn, and you discern. The first one that we see as we talk about learn is around this idea of setting our minds on the Spirit. Verse 5 and 6 of Romans 8, it says this. It says, for those who live... Now, now notice... How many times you see this phrase, set their minds or set the mind? He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For those who set the mind on the flesh, carnal appetites, temporal things, things that appease to your flesh, he says, those that set their minds on the flesh, it says, is death. Come on, how many want to die right now? Just come on, you say, man, that's me, come on, right? There's not many who want to die, come on. He says, if you put your eyes that way, you, you, it's like, to be carnally minded, he says, is enmity against God. He says, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Four times he uses this phrase, set the mind, set the mind, set their minds, set their minds. He uses it in these two verses, and it's this, this compound phrase in English is actually one word in the Greek. It's the word phroneo, which means this, to exercise, to discipline or focus your thoughts. It's not just something that appeals to you. It's kind of like, I just want to sleep in. That's not focus. It's like, no, I got to get up. I got to pray. I got I to focus. I got to set my mind on the things of God. And it's a discipline. It's a focus. It's an exercise. It's an intentionality. He uses this word to just show you've got to set your minds with everything that's going on you in the world. Get your minds on him. Set your mind there. Focus on him, his purposes, his plan, his word, his leading. Got to set your mind. How many have ever played the stare game before? You know, where you stare at someone and say, first one to blink loses? Anybody ever do that before? I remember in junior high, that's kind of the way you picked up on a girl, right? You just go, hey, you ever play the stare game? Let's wait. And then you just kind of stare at each other, right? And if you blink, you're over, and all of a sudden, I mean, your eyes start burning. There's no way you're going to lose to her. And all of a sudden, it's just like, blink, ah, you lost. That's what this word means. That you are so focused, eyeball to eyeball, with the Spirit, you're not even blinking. There's not even an opportunity to blink. This is what Paul's saying. With all of the temptations and all of the carnality and all of the garbage going around, we got to set our minds. On the things that are above. This is what he's saying. And here's what, here's what he's trying to help us understand. How you think determines the outcome of your life. You might want to write that one down. Because if you get anything out of the next hundred years in church, get that one. How you think determines the outcome of your life. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, just as a man thinks, so is he. I meet a lot of people that go, hey, you know, I'm really not that, in, you know, significant. And I'm kind of average and nobody likes me. If you think your whole life that way, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be insignificant and average. Just as you think, so you are. If you spend your whole life focusing on lustful thoughts you'll end up living a life of sexual bondage because that's where your eyes are set. If you're focused on all of the carnality and the things that are in the world today, and maybe it's just riches and greed, right? All that you're going to do is produce a self-centered, greedy, selfish life. So when you even hear an analogy or a thought from above like, giving, like our giving life today, it's just like it's your comatose. Because the focus, your, your eyes have been set all week on something else. It's just like, I'm not going to even entertain that thought. And so we become 
what we think about, where our focus is at. And this is what Paul's trying to help us say. Listen, there's a lot of places where you can put your eyes. I want to do great things in life. Well, then serve. He says the way to greatness is by serving. So if you focus on serving, he'll do great things. But if you go, no, I don't got the time, you will ultimately live a life of purposelessness because that's the way you've chose to think. When it comes to, well, I don't have many relationships, well, then get in a group. Think about getting in a group, right? But okay, no, I really don't want to do that. The way you think that way, you'll be over here struggling. Well, how do I even get involved? And they're not very friendly, and I can't find friends. It's because you've set your eyes on something contrary to God's word and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Set our minds. He says it four times. Set your mind, set your mind, set your mind, set your mind. Focus, concentrate, exercise, discipline. Where do you do that? Last week, we talked about the Word and the Spirit. And just look at what God says to do. And if He says to do that, then just do that. Focus on it. And just spend your whole life focusing on it. Set your minds. First thing you've got to do is learn. The second thing that we have to do is this. We have to turn. Because this is what you're going to find. Are you guys okay? Come on. You guys okay? Once you learn and you begin to set your mind on the things of God, what you, what you begin to see is his purposes and plans. And oftentimes what he reveals to you are things that are contrary to his purposes and plans. So Paul says, once you learn, you have to turn. you got to turn from your sinful nature. And this isn't just like turn from a behavior. It's just like your eyes are so focused on him that your sinful nature is actually transformed into Christ's nature. You're a new creation. I find the more time that I spend in the word and prayer, the less appetite I have for the world. It's just a simple math equation. And we all have that, don't we? We all have got challenges in our life. Anybody have any sins or weaknesses? Wrong thoughts? I mean, we have those. Or are we going to continue to accept him in our life? Or are we going to turn and change our life? Paul says this, Romans 8, 13. He says, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. I mean, it's pretty clear. He goes on and says, but if by the Spirit you put to death those myth- misdeeds, mean you turn from them, it says you'll live. It's just like this, this simple equation. Look to him, set your minds, and when he reveals something that is wrong, turn, stop. Just stop it. That's what Jesus said, right? Jesus is God, so he could say whatever he wanted, right? Here's what Jesus said. He said this. If your right eye causes you to sin, he says, gouge it out and throw it away. How many think that's a good idea? He says, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I mean, we just don't like those words in church. Jesus says, I don't care. I'm God. I can say whatever I want. He's not doing to hurt us, he's trying to do to help us, saying, listen, if you continue to do those things and not turn from them, you're going to destroy your life much more than if you, did, if you walked around with no eyeballs. And he goes on and says, hey, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I mean, if we're real honest, there'd be a lot of us blind people with no arms, just kind of like, hallelujah, just work, Right? I remember hearing the story of a lady named Madame Guyon. She was back in the 1600s, beautiful lady, forced into a, um, a prearranged marriage with a wealthy French statement. 
Her number one struggle was her own beauty. She prayed this daring prayer. Lord, take this stumbling block from my life. She'd wake up the next morning with her entire body covered in boils, including her face. So much so she was hospitalized. Huge welts, scabs left all over her face and body. She'd ask for a mirror. She'd hold the mirror looking at her face with all these potholes and scars, and she started to cry, and she said this, Thank you, Jesus, for taking the stumbling block from my life. Come on, how many pray that prayer? How many little child? Listen, she was at a place, she's going, God, whatever it takes. God, I can't be separated. I don't like the life I'm living. Help me. Break off the addiction, the thought life, the struggle, my carnal be Whatever it takes, cut it off, it says. Pluck it out. That's what Paul's trying to say. He's, he's just trying to be as polite as possible. Say, you got to learn and then you got to turn. This is, listen, if we want healings and we want miracles and we want to be filled with the Spirit and we want His presence and we want Him to touch our life and we want His peace and we want His joy and all of this stuff from week four, five, six, seven, eight, nine that we're going to do, you got to do week three. So what he's saying, if you don't do it, you'll die. It's like life-altering truth. God, help us in our culture, our paganized, self-centered, self-entitled, upside-down culture. God, change us. God, let us learn, let us turn. And when we do that, when we set our minds on the things above, and He begins to speak to us, fills us with His love and His grace and His peace. And I could just do a prayer meeting right now, just kind of like, show up and come. He just reveals stuff to us. And when he does, it's just like, okay, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to turn. And as soon as you turn, you discern. Now you start your day. This is the way every day should start. In the morning, your first 15, just in prayer, you're just like, God, I'm going to start first of all by just submitting myself. God, you're on the throne. And I just, I come and I just ask for your presence and you speak to me and fill me with your love and your peace. And it's in that he begins to say, but I need you to change that thing. You go, okay, I'm going to change it, God. And then you change it and you say, God, I'm going to do better. And as you walk, then you just live the day being led by the Spirit. The third thing we need to do is discern. That means being led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 14 says, those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. We love to quote that, just kind of, we're children, therefore we're led, but he ties it into the other verses. He said, I can tell you who my children are. It's those that have learned and turned, and now we'll walk them up. And it's in that moment where the Holy Spirit begins to guide you. You start your day. God, right now, God. God, my life is yours. I look at my schedule every day and I look at all my meetings and say, God, you be the center of this. You're in charge. God, I'm going to meet with this person. Give me words of grace and peace. Give me a word of knowledge. Help them. God, this meeting with these elders, Lord, I need your help. Lord, and you're just, just kidding. But I just go through and I just look at all these different meetings and say, God, 
you lead me. You're on the throne. My life is not my own. And you walk out the door. And instead of road rage, you're letting the person in and wanting to pray for them. Man, I just pray the Holy Ghost all over that guy right there. And he needs it more than I do. I'm not in a hurry. You just pray for him. Your neighbor, your coworker, your relative. Just like, you just want to love people. Serve people. You want to live like Jesus. Share his love. So Paul wraps this all up. And he just basically said, who do you want to be? Really, who do you, who does your spouse say you are? Your friends. It's not by whether you're sitting here on Sunday. That's how you walk the walk. How do you walk? What are you known for? What do you want to be known for? It's like, Paul's just saying it's just up to us. The Holy Spirit's here right now. He wants to fill you empower you, help you, strengthen you, cheer you on. But at the end of the day, even God can't move you if you don't move you. He gave you a free will. Without free will, you couldn't have love. So he just says, listen, I'm doing my part. I died for you. I sent the helper to you. I want to fill you. I want to empower you. I want you to become all that I've created you to become. Just choose. Learn. Turn. Serve. Father, right now, Lord, we bow our heads. We open up our ears to hear your voice. Lord, would you fall on this place right now, God, each of us. Lord, deep down in our heart, we have this longing, Lord, to call you Father, to be called children of God. Lord, to experience your presence and your goodness and your love. And Lord, we know it's unconditional. So often the roadblock isn't you, it's us. It's just we're distant. Lord, in our hearts right now, we get off of our throne. And Jesus, we put you in your rightful place as King of kings, as Lord of lords. We surrender our life to you. Lord, would you help us to turn, God, this room. Lord, I know it's filled with people that love you, but God, the appetites, God, just from a statistical standpoint, God, the addictions and drugs and sexual behavior and God, you just go down the list, God, things that we've allowed into our life. Would you challenge and convict us? God, let your grace come. God, I know that you love us, but God, in your unfailing love and mercy, God, let us not use that as an excuse turning from our wicked ways. And I just sense that there's people here right now, you're, you're supposed to give up something today. You walked in here with something and you got to leave without it. His power, His grace is here for you. 
Lord, I don't even know need hands, God. You know who they are. They know who they are. So you come right now. Breathe the power of God upon them. Break addictions. Unforgiveness. God, whatever it is, just break it off them, God. God, let them turn. Not in their own doing, but in your power. Would you just fill us afresh? Would you fill us afresh, God? Thank you, Jesus. Every person, fresh touch.